This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. Good morning, Bucknutters. Welcome to the Bucknuts Morning 5 here on Monday, February 6th, 2023. I am Dave Biddle. Very happy to be joined by Steve Hellwagon. A lot to get into. I want to start with um, you know, something that Mark Pantone brought up. There was so much good stuff last Wednesday from all the coaches. and um, We could talk about 100 different things. But Mark Pantone brought up something that I've always thought they should do. Um, in basketball, Steve, as you know, they have you know the signing period right before practice starts or right after it starts, but before the season. You know, and then you have the late signing period for football. For some reason, when they finally did the early signing period, they put it in December. Why not put it in late July, right after or right before camp starts? Um, Pantone said that's what they should do. Um, I'm gonna get your thoughts on that. Do you think they should do it, and do you think that that will be implemented? Well, I think it's a great suggestion. I think it protects the athletes who then go into their senior year and may have an injury issue and not have a scholarship locked up, uh, you know, I think that that, that definitely uh, hurts those guys that, uh, you know, they didn't get a chance to sign before the season because some top colleges will uh, hold off on signing a guy if he gets hurt during his senior year. So uh, to me, I think that uh, it protects the athletes and, that would be the best thing. I think you could do that maybe with uh, maybe up, upping the number of scholarships from 85 to 90 uh, might be good because we're seeing a lot of pushback now at the high school level that, uh, you know, kids are uh, not getting the opportunities, perhaps as many opportunities as high school signees uh, coming out of high school now because of the transfer portal. So, Maybe if they up the number of scholarships with, and maybe just at the Power Five level, so you have the option to go to ninety if you want. Maybe that would alleviate some of the issues I think with this and injury issues and and other things. But uh, I know that's kind of a different path than what you're talking about. But I wholeheartedly support that. I think that uh, the only proviso, obviously, is okay. Your college team that you sign with goes three and nine, and they fire the coach and the assistant coach who signed you and they hire people who don't know you who are either going to be looking to get rid of you or uh, you look 
not look to go to that school anymore. You want to go to, you know, where your recruiter, let's say he moves from Louisville to Wake Forest. Now you want to go to Wake Forest and be with the assistant coach who loved you the most. So, you know, I guess they would have to have a proviso that if there's a coaching change at the school, you'd have to be allowed out of that July uh, signing letter and be able to sign a different one in December or February or whatever. But uh, yeah, I have no issue with that, Dave. I, I, I've always said this should be, the colleges have all the advantage. Uh, this should always be stilted toward the student athlete, uh, the ability to protect themselves from an injury in their high school season. It, they have it in basketball, as we said, with the early signing period. There's no reason why the guys in football shouldn't have it as well. I wanted to get in one more thing that Pantone said before we move on to, I want to talk about, you know, the play calling situation, you know, with uh, what you think is going to happen with uh, Brian Hartline. Um, and then we'll get into basketball to end the show. Um, unfortunately, we'll get into Ohio State basketball to end the show. But uh, Pantone also came out and said, listen, I think this was kind of maybe, you know, a shot across the bow of uh, maybe uh, you know, get some people to wake up out there in the Ohio State community. But he did say, we might, you know, if there's a national kid out there, you know, who makes it clear that NIL is his top, top priority, um, we might have to stop recruiting some of those kids because if they're going to make NIL their top priority, um, they might not be a good fit. He made it clear they're going to, you know, recruit more in the Midwest, recruit more in Ohio. Um, some people liked to hear that. Some people did not. What did you make of those comments, Steve? I don't have a problem with it. It's a relationship business. It is a people business. And you want people who are going to come to Ohio State who are invested in you as the coaching staff for what you can do for them in terms of development and putting them on a winning team and guys who want to be part of a winning team. I think that's all that, that's those are the only things I'd be looking for in this day and age where teams can pull apart, you know, at the seams. You know, you look at Texas AM, they took people who were only there for the money and they don't win anything. Right. You know, the you know, they they have a hard time getting a first down, you know? So it's like, you know, I mean, Ohio state's doing it the right way. You win with people. It's right there at the top of the building. When you walk in the atrium at the Woody Hayes center, it's right there in big, bold letters. You win with people. And that's never been more true than in 2023. And so, you know, flashy object in the, you know, in the window, you know, who can run a four three forty and do all these funny, flashy things, you know, that only gets you so far. And, you know, individual, you know, a team that's 11 on 11, you need the best 11 players that you can get that will work together for a common goal. And, you know, we've seen any number of all-star teams over the years that have faltered and not gotten the job done. And so, yeah, I want – you know, I want the best athletes, the best football players that they can get, but it's also, you know, just as important that they're part of a team. And, you know, I don't want to say everybody who's just out there look fishing for NIL money isn't in it for the right reasons. I think if you're a great player and there is a market value attached to your name, then it's only the American way for you to try and uh, maximize uh, that thing, like uh, they asked Jimmy Jackson on one of the broadcasts, you know, well, what about NIL in your day? He says, go get that bag, young man. And, you know, that's fine. That, that's fine to a point. But just because somebody, you know, 
makes it clear that that's what they're in it for. It doesn't mean that they're a fit for Ohio State or Michigan or Alabama or whoever it may be. So uh, if you want to win at the highest level in this sport, you got to have team players. And, uh, you know, let let everybody else, Texas, Texas A&M, you know, all these Yahoo Miami. Miami, Miami's a perfect example. Yeah. Let all these Yahoo programs that go five and six every year, let them let them let them worry about their NIL cap space and and for Ohio State just keep bringing you know those playoff berths and championship trophies home. Uh, oil money is good down there, man. They're paying Jimbo. What are they paying him like uh, per year? They're paying him about uh, ten million. $10 million per win, I think, is what he gets per year in his contract. It's, it's unbelievable. Um, all right. I, I want to get into the play calling situation. I talked about it on last week's show. You and I have not talked about it. I thought it was very interesting. Um, a lot of questions posed to Ryan Day last Wednesday. This is the first time we've got a chance to talk to him since after the Peach Bowl. And he wasn't asked about it then, but um, you know, Kirk Herbstreit threw it out there that um, you know Ryan told him that he's considering, strongly considering giving up play calling duties. They elevated Brian Hartline to offensive coordinator. And, you know, watching Brian's interview, I was interviewing different people. There were so many coaches out there. But going back and watching Brian's interview, it sure sounds like Brian believes he's going to be the play caller. Now, Steve, as you know, as everybody knows, it's going to be highly collaborative. Ryan Day is going to be heavily involved. My question for you, sir, do you believe in year one Ryan's going to turn over play calling duties to Brian Hartline while, while Ryan's still being, you know, heavily involved? Or do you think it's going to be Ryan still kind of calling the plays and Brian still calling some plays? How, how do you think it's going to shake out? Well, I think it's a collaborative effort. And I think what uh, both coaches have said makes perfect sense is let's experiment during the spring and get a routine that works, that is livable and uh, workable for the two of them. I think Ryan Day – now four years into being the head coach at Ohio State, understands uh, all the different directions he is being pulled in terms of recruiting, marketing his program, media obligations, uh, any uh, outside ventures that he has beyond football. I don't don't sense and don't see that he's on Aflac commercials like Nick Saban is, but let him win a national championship, and then they'll they'll put that handsome guy on a. Uh, that rugged, handsome Ohio State head coach on an Aflac commercial or something, but I think that uh, I think that he is trying to balance family life with his work life, with putting a winner on the field, and that's a lot of masters he's trying to serve at one time. And so I think that he wants to see this spring if he is comfortable with turning it over to Brian Hartline, whether that's forty percent. 60% or 100% remains to be seen. They had a great – it's kind of the if it's broke, don't fix it thing. But at the same time, you took Kevin Wilson out of that mix, and now he's the head coach at Tulsa. So it's going to look a little bit different sitting around that meeting room for hours and hours on end with the sketch pad as they try and devise, no, I don't think he should be there. He should be in motion. No, he needs to shift just before the, the ball is snapped. No, you need to put him here to create a situation where this linebacker or this safety is in conflict. I mean, all these many myriad things. It is so intricate what these guys do. And it seems to me that Brian Hartline is a technician. He's seen it all at the NFL level. And uh, we were there the other day for interviews. He was out there with a couple of the young 
wide receivers, just kind of talking them through a couple different route variations and different things. So, you know, I think that um, at the end of the day, it's it's going to work out. I don't have any doubt about it. They got too many good players to not put a ton of points on the board again this year. Kind of depends on how the new quarterback and the new offensive line kind of come together because without great pre- pre- protect. I want to say protectation without great protection. Uh, you're not going to be able the quarterback, the new quarterback's not going to be able to flourish. So uh, it's a lot of, it's going to be execution of those plays that are called by this coaching staff. You don't want to fall into the uh, rut that I thought Jim Knowles fell into this year was this belief that his individual pieces and parts were better than they actually were. Then you get into the pivotal games of the year, Michigan and Georgia, and you make decisions and your guys can't execute, you know, those play calls. Uh, you never want to see that. So you got to stay within what your guys can do. And uh, I think it'll work out just fine. I think that uh, Hartline, Corey Dennis, uh, Ryan Day, uh, Tony Alford, Justin Fry, that's the dream team right there. And, of course, Keenan Bailey, he's been waiting a lifetime, it seems like. He's been at Ohio State waiting for this opportunity. This is the dream team. Their time is now, and uh, if they can't do it, nobody can, is my feeling. Yeah, Justin Fry is a guy that's going to be heavily involved. Coach Day made that clear as well. Run game coordinator, basically taking over for Kevin Wilson, if you want to look at it like that. Not quite, because Kevin had the title of offensive coordinator, or Brian Hartline now has the title of offensive coordinator where last year he had the title of pass game coordinator, in addition to being wide receivers coach. But now Justin Fry being that run game coordinator, it's really going to be those three are going to be the main ones in whatever order. Ryan Day, as far as the play calling, Ryan Day, Brian Hartline, Justin Fry. Um, so, I mean, Fry will be third regardless, but you know what I mean. All right, let's get into it. Um, okay, this is Ohio State's one and nine in their last 10 games. Correct me if I'm wrong. That is, to my math, that's the worst stretch, uh, worst 10 game stretch since Jim O'Brien's first season at Ohio State. Now, at least O'Brien took over a mess and then took him to the final four the next year. Um, this is year six of the Holtman era. Um, I know they're not going to get rid of him after this year. There's 20 million reasons, Steve, as you know, why they're not going to get rid of him after this year. Um, but it's unbelievable this tailspin that they've been in. You start two and zero in the Big Ten, and then you go one and nine, lose yesterday to Michigan. I know you were there. Um, I mean, what? I mean, just a lot to unpack. I know they're not going to get rid of Chris Holtman, but it's just so frustrating where this basketball program is. Yeah, it's a terrible mess right now, no doubt about it. And um, you know, the the issue is, you know, you look at the game yesterday, you look at the road games at Illinois and Indiana. You know, in most years, those are tough places to go and play anyway. The problem is they gave away games that they should have won. Uh, Minnesota at home, Wisconsin at home, uh, at Nebraska. There's three right there at Rutgers. There's four. North Carolina is five. Uh, Purdue is six. My God, they've given away six games that they could have, should have won. Even if you go three and three in that stretch, you don't feel quite as bad about uh, where this team's at. I think they're one and six in games decided by five points or less, and you just come to question, you know, do, do they have the winner gene? I don't know that they do. There's no ass kicker, uh, you know, on this team that draws that line. Uh, you know, the last time they had a team this bad this late in the season was Jim O'Brien's last year in uh, 
2003-2004. I think they ended up 14-16. and 16. And he wasn't even fired because of that. He was fired because of the improprieties right. that came to light later on that spring. Um, you know, and, and what's interesting is the nucleus of guys that Thad Mata uh, inherited was kind of a ragtag group. But they did win 20 games his first year, and they beat Illinois, who was number one in the country, in his first year. In his second year, they won the Big Ten. And then in the third year, they had Greg Oden and Mike Conley for that one season and went to the national championship game. So things can turn around pretty quickly, but uh, there's a lot not to like right now. As I said, they don't have that ass kicker. The guy that really came in the forefront back then was a JUCO guy by the name of Jaquel Foster. He yes. came in and brought some grit to the program and, uh, you know, wasn't going to accept losing, was going to be a great defensive stopper. Uh, there are five frontline guys right now. I don't see a good defensive player in their five frontline guys, and that's Thornton, who, who can be at times, but, man, he gets caught looking at the basketball, I think, a lot of times, and, and maybe that's fatigue because they're having him play so many minutes. But he's not that great defensively. Sean McNeil is not a great defensive player. Justice Suing is not a great defensive player. Bryce Sensabaugh certainly is not a good defensive player. Uh, and Zed Key, uh, he can hold his own against guys who are in that 6'9", 6'10 range. But you get bigger and bulkier than that, which they do play those type players at times in the Big Ten, it's a mismatch. As we saw yesterday, he and Felix Akpara got uh, – you know, that matchup ended up 26 to 6 uh, for the center position for Michigan with uh, Hunter Dickinson. So, uh, you know, that that was that kind of said that they did hold their own against Trace Jackson Davis, but he's only in that 6 9 range. You know what I mean? So it's a little bit different. Um, you know, I don't want to lay it all at Zed's feet. Uh, Zed's been injured, but uh, kind of goes back to the fact you don't have a true center. And. You know, what, whatever you want to say about that. Roster construction, I think, is where this the root of all these problems has been. Uh, there have been a lot of people. Tanner Holden was expected to come in and provide some punch. This was the lowest of the low for him yesterday. Did not play coach's decision, it seems. Uh, Holtman wasn't even asked about it after the game. That'll tell you how far out of the realm of, of thought a guy who averaged 20 points a game at Wright State last year has become that it's not even discussed after the game that he didn't get into the game. Um, just a lot of disappointments up and down the board. And he honestly has not been that great of a defensive player either. So if you don't root what you're doing, the great Randy Ayers, I know we, we, we lampoon him over his last five or six years, but at the beginning he was okay. And he had two tenants that he hung his hat on, which was, play good half-court defense, and rebound the basketball. And they're not doing those things. So I uh, got beat again terribly in the paint uh, yesterday. So, you know, uh, there is no path at this point for this team to the NCAA tournament. They've won once, one time in five weeks. That was against Iowa. They play five home games, three road games to end the season. Even if you go five and three, that's 16 and 15, I think, is what that – uh, adds up to now that's obviously not good enough to get an NCAA at large berth even if you played your way out of the bottom four and got even the 10 seed okay to where you don't have to play five games in five days even if you got played up to the 10 seed 
you'd still have to win four games in four days. And I remind you, this is a team that's won once in five weeks. They ain't beaten four of these teams who they can't beat on any given Thursday or Sunday right now, uh, four games in four days. It's not, there is no path. There is a 1% chance for this team to make the NCAA tournament, which was laughable when the season started. You thought this roster, you know, seems like if everything comes together, ought to be pretty good. And it's inconsistency. It's, it's so many different things. I'm going to write a column today about the losses here just what's been the common themes and threads and try and put something together. But it seems like it's a different thing every game. We know there's always that four or five minute stretch where they don't score a point, Dave. That That's, that's pretty consistent. That's the, that's the consistent. That's, point. The, that's the one thread that's always there. Last three or four minutes of the first half against Indiana, they went through a four or five minute stretch without a field goal. Roddy Gale got knocked down twice in a row. It went to the free throw line and made three out of four free throws during that stretch to give them at least three points. But in the meantime, Michigan's reeled off eight or nine, you know, and man, what a telling st- statement that was. He starts Akpara to begin the second half. It goes well for about three minutes. Then they just kept putting it down on the block to Hunter Dickinson. And after the first one, he ran Zed key to the table and I'm screaming, foul, foul, give a foul. <laughs> Stop the clock! Like like uh, Apollo's trainer in, uh, in Rocky. Throw the damn towel! Throw the damn towel! You know, just uh, do anything. Throw, throw. They had an inflatable Brutus head that floated onto the court the other night, and uh, yeah. it, stopped, it stopped a Wisconsin run. Where was the inflatable Brutus head yesterday <laughs> when 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 Hunter Dickinson was 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 basically going one on zero? <laughs> so. Yeah, it, it um, I don't know. It's 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 a comedy of errors. It's so sad. You know, there are there is a loyal fan base for Ohio State basketball. I think a lot of people make fun about it, but uh, there are a lot of people who uh, who do enjoy this team and will continue watching, but man, it's the same story week after week, game after game. There's just not an ass kicker there. Some of the other ones I would mention besides Joe Kyle Foster in, in history, David Lighty. Aaron Kraft, Jared Sullinger, Evan Turner. I mean, those were all type A personalities. And imagine having four of those guys on the team together. Well, I guess Sullinger and Kraft didn't play with with uh, Turner. But, uh, yeah, and then uh, up through uh, even in recent years, uh, there have been one or two of those guys at times that just drawn that line. Kyle Young. Kyle Young was that type of guy. Just huh. drawn that line and say no. You know what's funny yesterday, Dave? Uh, Jed Howard, man, he plays the game with a chip on his shoulder. Like, my daddy's a coach. I can do whatever the hell I want. He <laughs> plays like that. He, he, honest to God, plays like that. He will chuck a guy going through the middle. He'll take a bad shot. But he also does the little things to help him win. And, and so uh, about midway through the first half, he was coming across the lane, and he just knocked him down. Just flat-ass knocked him down. I'm like, that's Big Ten basketball right there. He got a foul for it, but he also said, we're here, baby. We're here. He wasn't going to give him an easy two. So I don't see anybody from Ohio State doing that. You got yeah. Sometimes sometimes you got to knock a guy on his ass and not give up the easy two. And right. nobody at Ohio State will do that right now. And let him know we're here. We're here. We're here. You know, 
We're going to be here all day. Yeah. You're starting what a great game. What a great yeah. game. But, again, 10 games in a row, he'd only had one double-digit game. He hit the wall, hurt his wrist. He's back, it seems now. Maybe they'll win a few games. NIT isn't even a possibility right now, Dave, because you got to usually be three, four games over 500 to get in the NIT field. So they're they're dead in the water. Yeah, very disappointing. I had, I had somebody say, like, and they're being totally serious on Twitter. They said, if they make the NIT, it's because of name only. And I'm like, ladies and gentlemen, I quoted them. I said, ladies and gentlemen, your 2022-23 Ohio State men's basketball team. If they get in the NIT, it'll be because of name only. It's like we're not even talking about the real tournament. We're talking about if they get in the NIT. My boys are already <laughs> talking about going to the games in Columbus the first weekend and then having a boys trip to Louisville the second weekend for the regional. So maybe we'll see some people down at the Yum Center watching Purdue and Tennessee or whoever's in the uh, – I don't know if that's the southeast or the midwest or whatever south or I don't know which one they're calling that. But, uh, yeah, maybe we'll see some people at the regional at the Yum Center or something. There you go, buddy. There you go. Yeah. Great stuff from Steve Hellwagon. Appreciate it, Steve. Thank you to all of our listeners and viewers. Appreciate you guys. Hope everyone has a great rest of your day. season finale now that i'm out i need something to get me up in the morning you are a firefighter you speak that will be unforgettable in the name of your life's happiness go get your girl she's getting married tomorrow says when do you let anything get in the way of what you want the fire country season finale friday 9 8 central on cbs and streaming on paramount plus